we have reached the place as a church where we have to make some key decisions together and we have to take some, some bold, faith-filled steps in order to make it easier for people who are turning to God. And that's what the One More Matters campaign is all about. And so today is Commitment Sunday. So last Sunday, we shared about the vision of the campaign. And then this Sunday, at the end of service today, you're gonna have a chance to make a commitment towards that campaign. Now, some of you right now are like freaking out. You're like, I didn't know anything about this. Like, I just showed up today. I don't know what's going on. I just wanna be sure to point out here at the very beginning that if you're our guest today, whether you've been coming a few weeks or today's your first time, maybe at our church or in church in a long time, like, please just kind of sit back and enjoy uh, hearing our heart and hearing the dreams that God's put in our heart. We believe God's gonna put some dreams in your heart as well. But this is really a moment for those of us who call Hope City Church home and are, and are all in to just whatever God has in store, our answer is yes, and we wanna be a part of that. So being that today is Commitment Sunday, I thought what would be most fitting for, for me to do today as, as I'm prepared to speak and to share with you is to really just talk about what commitment is. Specifically, what does the Bible say that commitment is? And the reason I think this is so important is because I grew up around amazing people, around people who loved God and who love God, amazing parents and amazing churches and pastors and youth pastors. And I don't think that they meant to, or maybe they never did. It was just the way that I heard it because sometimes hearing is different than what's being said, right? But I always grew up with this idea that commitment was important to God, and it is, but I had this messed up idea that God wanted my commitment whether I wanted to give it or not. The idea being that, that if I didn't commit, then bad things would happen. Anybody ever grow up with that kind of idea? Maybe you still have that idea in your head right now. Well, I don't really wanna go to church, but if I don't go to church, then my car will break down, you know? I don't really wanna, you know, be honest, but if I lie, then, you know, something bad's gonna happen to me. You know, you get a little bit older as a kid, you, you know, God, bad things will happen. As a, as, a, as a teenager, you get a little older, and it's like, well, I, I really wanna sleep with my boyfriend or girlfriend, but God has nothing to do with the decision. I just know that if I do it, something terrible's gonna happen, right? That was kind of our philosophy in my youth group. It was like, it wasn't so much about honoring God, it was about pregnancy and STDs. And so that's why you don't, uh, that's why you don't do that. And so... And so you have, you have this idea that like, we have to commit to God. Some of you even right now, you're, you're in church today, you don't wanna be here, but your spouse made you come, or you had kids and somebody said that a good dad makes sure their kids are raised in church and you don't really have any interest in following Jesus or committing to Jesus, but this is where you are and if, if, I, if I could do you a favor and hurry up, there's, you know, the lady, lady cards are playing at 12, so if you could just hurry this up, Pastor, that would be great. Um, so, so that's kind of, all of us carry around a little bit of baggage like that we have to commit to God. Begrudgingly, we have to commit. Even if we don't want to, we have to. And, 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 and that's kind of the idea that I had. And then I started reading the Bible and my mind began to be blown about what Jesus said and what the Bible said about commitment because it is not at all what... what um, what I had believed. And so I think maybe the best part, place for us to start today is in 2 Corinthians chapter nine. If you have a Bible, you can read along. It'll be up on the screen. If you got the church app, you can follow along on the notes there in the church app. But, but, the, but the best place to start is 2 Corinthians nine, verse seven. I love this verse. You may have heard this verse before. 
Uh, it, it, was, it was written by the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to church people, people who are in church. And specifically, he is talking, what we're about to read, he's specifically talking about money. But I believe that what he says really can apply to every area of our life. And, and this is what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, you, everybody say me. Me. Paul's talking to you. This is one of those verses that applies throughout history. This is not specifically to one group of people. This is to all of us. He says, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. Now, again, he's talking about money. But I think this is a fitting statement for any area of our life, that you must decide how much of your life you wanna give to God. You must decide how much of your career you wanna give to God. You must decide how much of your family you wanna give to God. Paul's writing this and he's saying, you, everybody say me. me. You must decide how much to give. He continues, he says, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, that, that's a new, new one for a lot of you guys, that, that all of your life maybe your, your, your commitment to God came because of pressure and anger and you know, you gotta do this and maybe it was a nun or maybe it was a parent or a, whatever it was, a professor at a Bible college or whatever. It was just, you gotta do this, you gotta do this. And Paul says, listen, you decide how much you wanna give and don't do it reluctantly. Don't do it under pressure. And then here, here's the mic drop statement. For God loves a person who gives reluctantly. No, that's not what he says. Y'all ain't even following along. You're like, well, that must be what it says. That's what, nope, that's not what it says. It's not what it says. It says, for God loves a person who gives begrudgingly. No, that's not what it says. That's not what it says. I actually had a guy one time um, who came up to me. This was way back. But he had, I had been preaching recently on tithing and giving. And so the next week he walked up and he handed me a check for $2,000. And he handed it to me like this. He walked up to me and was like, here, and handed it to me. Kind of threw it at me. I was like, I saw, I was like, man, a check for $2,000. I was like, man, this is incredible. He's like, yeah, my wife said we need to be given to the church. So there. Oh my goodness. And this is what I did. I promise you, this is what I did. I just, I just handed it back to him. I said, buddy, you keep it. We don't want it. He's like, what? I said, that's not, the Bible doesn't say that that's how you give. Just keep it. Whenever you're ready to give it, give it. But don't do it like this. This is not the way that we're supposed to give. He was like, I mean, he took it. You know, he didn't, he, didn't, you know, he, he took it back, but he was like, really? I have, um, I have four kids, but my oldest two daughters, nine and six, they're, they, they're reaching the age where they get paid for things, you know, like little chores or what, you know, birthday money or whatever it is. Um, and, uh, and so my oldest daughter, nine, if you have multiple kids, you know that the oldest is kind of that pleaser, you know, doesn't want to disappoint their parents, you know, at least at this point in their life. And so, and so she, she gets this money and I'll say to her like, oh, okay, how much are you going to, um, we got to give to God. So how much are we going to give to God? And she'll be like, oh, dad, I just, I'll give it all to God, dad. I'll just give it all. Well, that's, that's awesome, babe, but if you give it all to God, you're not gonna be able to get anything and you're gonna want me to buy it for you, you know, so just, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to give it all. No, 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 Dad, I'll, I'll give it all, Dad. I'll give it all, Dad. And she's not really saying it because she really wants to give it all. She's saying it because she thinks I want her to say she wants to give it all. Now, Nora, my six-year-old, I'll say, Nora, how much are you gonna give to God? She'll say, none. I'm not giving any to God. 
If, Dad, if I give it to God, then how, I won't be able to buy anything for me. I'm keeping it. Now, here's what's crazy, and I can't speak for God necessarily, but I almost feel like God appreciates Nora's honesty way more than he appreciates Sadie's desire to please, you know? Because Nora is being honest about how she feels about it. And I think 2 Corinthians 9 is, is great because God says, for God, Apostle Paul says, for God loves a person, he's pleased with a person who gives cheerfully. And so my question for you is, can you imagine a day? Can you imagine a scenario? Can you imagine in your head that there would ever be a day in your life where you would be incredibly, radically, irresponsibly generous? Not because you had to, but because you wanted to. That there would be this giddy excitement in you. That, 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 it, that there would just be this feeling of like, I can't wait. Again, not even just about money, about whatever it is. I can't wait to give this to God. I can't wait to give this to God because that's what the Apostle Paul says. And so today, kind of with 2 Corinthians 9 as our backdrop, I thought the best thing we could do would be to look at two stories in the Bible that give us this, two different sides of the coin. They're gonna give us two different sides of what Jesus expects or desires in our life when it comes to commitment. So we're actually gonna read a good chunk of, of scripture, some Bible verses today. The first one is gonna be in Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, and I love this story in Matthew 19 because I think it applies to where so many of us are at. The story is about a young man. We don't know how, how young, but I would say probably early 20s, maybe early 30s, successful. He's got kind of an entrepreneurial spirit about him. You know, he's done well for himself. Uh, we know that he is a church kid. We know that he grew up with some type of religious structure, if he ever shot a Hope Story video, he would say, hey, you know, my name is whatever his name is. I grew up Catholic and, uh, you know, went to church my whole life. And, uh, you know, that's, his story would sound a lot like that. We know that he's a good guy, that morally he's a good man. He'd be the kind of guy you'd want to be friends with. He'd be the kind of guy that you'd want your daughter to date or to marry. He probably sits on the board of a couple of nonprofits. Like, this is a good guy. And so one day he comes up to Jesus in Matthew chapter 19, starting with verse 16, and he says, it says someone came to Jesus with the question, always be careful when you wanna like ask, like proposition Jesus, you wanna ask a question, you're trying to figure out something with Jesus. Always be careful about that. He comes to Jesus and says, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Now just stop for a second because this, this question is so telling. This is the question that someone asks who wants to follow Jesus but hasn't fallen in love with Jesus yet. Because the question is, what do I have to do? How good do I have to be? How many weeks I gotta be at church? How much do I have to give? How much can I drink? How, how, how far can I go? And, and, and so he, he's asking the question, what must I do? And that's always a telltale sign of religion. It's when you're trying to follow Jesus, but you haven't fallen in love with Jesus yet. And some of you right now find yourself in that place. Just tell me what I need to do. What, how much do I have to give? What do I need to, how, how many weeks do I have to be here? Just tell me. And that, that's kind of where, so, so, so we know just from this question, we know that here's a guy who has been obeying but hasn't necessarily fallen in love with Jesus yet because he's trying to figure out what the minimum is. 
What must I do? What do I, what do I gotta do? And so Jesus answers him and says, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you wanna receive eternal life, keep the commandments. And, and so then the rich young ruler asks back in verse 18, he says, which ones? Now here again, you can always tell a lot about a person by the kind of questions that they ask. Because remember, this is a guy who has grown up in church. This is a guy, this is not his first time hearing about Jesus. This is not his first time hearing about don't kill, don't steal, don't murder. He has, he has done those things, but even though he has obeyed all the rules, we know that he is underwhelmed by a relationship with God because he, he's, he's not satisfied. He, he says there's gotta be more. There's gotta be more. He says, which, which ones? And, and Jesus says, you gotta, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't falsely testify. Like he, he, he needs a little, more, uh, a little more description. In verse 20, he says, I've obeyed all these commandments. This is great, like I did it. And then he asks another question, what else must I do? I love that question of what else because we find this guy underwhelmed by obeying all the rules. Underwhelmed by obeying all the rules. I have followed all the rules on the list that somebody gave me, but there has to be something more. That's what he's saying to Jesus. What else? Well, don't, you know, don't, don't kill somebody, lie. Like, he says, okay, I've done that. There has to be more. And some of you right now, like you're sitting here right now and you feel that way. I've been, I've been following all the rules, but there has to be something else because if I'm just being honest, Christianity has been somewhat underwhelming. And I see all these other people who seem to be like, oh my gosh, so in love with Jesus. And I just don't feel that. And that's where the, the, the rich young ruler is at. He has spent his life following a list of rules and everybody in this room has a list of rules. Whether, whether they gave them to you at Catholic school or Sunday school or VBS or summer camp or the church that you grew up with, you know, with your parents, the church you grew up in. Everybody gave you a list of rules, and everybody's rules are a little bit different. There's a slight variation depending on where you were raised and how, you know, liberal somebody was or how conservative someone was. So you have a list of rules, and there's all of these, like, things that you have to keep, and you have to be careful to obey the letters of the law. And so maybe on your list of rules, you know, you can say crap, but you can't say, you know, you know what I mean, on your list of rules. But on, but on somebody else's list of rules, you could never say the C word. We don't do that. On their list of rules, you can't say, dang it. You can't say things like that, right? Maybe on your list of rules, like you can kiss, but you can't feel. You know, maybe on your list of rules, um, like you, you can see PG-13 movies, but you can't see rated R movies, you know? Or you can see rated R movies, but not if they have certain words in them or certain scenes in them, Right? You can drink, but you can't get drunk. You can smoke, but you can't get high. Like, you, you're, there, you, there's a list of rules, and, as, and you believe that as long as you follow those lists of rules, that is what required, that's what required, that is what is required of you. That's the commitment that you have to make. And that's where this guy is. I, I'm, I'm kind of belaboring the point because I want you to understand the kind of guy that we're dealing with. He's a good guy. He's followed the list of rules. And he comes to Jesus and he says, what else? There has to be something else besides not, you know, drinking too many drinks and watching rated R movies. Like there's gotta be something else. Maybe you find yourself there today. And so Jesus says, if you wanna be perfect, 
go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. But the young man heard this, but when he heard this, he went away sad for he had many possessions. Now, just so you can breathe easy this morning, Jesus didn't ask anybody else in the gospels to sell everything that they had. The, the, the moral of the sermon today is not that you need to sell everything that you have and that's the only way that you get to follow Jesus. That's not the moral of this story. Jesus didn't even bring it up. He brought it up. The young man brought it up. So in other words, it's like Jesus is saying, well, if you're asking, I'll tell you. But, but, but you're asking. I'm not, I'm not you're, you're asking. You want, you want to know what else? If you want to know what else, I'll tell you what else. And everybody in this room has a what else area of your life. There's 90% of your life that you've given to God and there's 10% that you don't wanna trust. And so maybe it has nothing to do with selling everything, but you would say to God, okay, I'll follow you, Jesus, but don't you ask me to forgive that person. Don't you ask me to forgive that person. Okay, I will follow you, but don't you ask me to give up the thing that I used to cope with my life that I'm so unsatisfied with. Okay, I will give you most of my life, but don't you dare let the preacher start talking about money. Don't you do that. That's, that's off limits. And Jesus, if you wanna know, he will tell you what area of your life is causing you to be so underwhelmed. He'll identify the area of your life that you will not let him get a hold of, but if you were to ever let him get a hold of it, it would change your life. You would receive not only eternal life, but you would feel real life. You would feel alive. And if this was being acted out, there would be a soundtrack and Jesus would say, sell everything. And the man, when when Jesus says, sell everything, give to the poor, it'd be like, wah, 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 because the man's face drops and he walks away sad. Jesus didn't say if you wanna be a Christian. He didn't say if you wanna go to heaven. He said if you wanna feel alive, let's deal with the last 10%. Let's deal with the area of our life that you won't touch. Now, we don't have time to look at it, but if you, if you were to continue to reading in these stories, after this, Jesus does some pretty incredible things, and this young man could have been a part of it. He could have witnessed Jesus feeding 5,000, walking on the water, Peter walking on the water, Jesus putting a guy's ear back on. He could have witnessed Lazarus being raised from the dead. He could have witnessed all of these amazing things. He could have had a front row seat to these things. It would have been the most incredible experiences of his life. But he didn't wanna go there and he didn't wanna commit. And what I love about this story is that it goes against everything that I've been taught to believe about Jesus and especially pastors and church leadership because Jesus says, sell everything, give it to the poor. This guy doesn't want to and he walks away and Jesus doesn't stop him. I thought we were supposed to leave the 99 and go after the one. I thought we were supposed to do whatever it took to keep people in, don't let them get away. And the guy walks away and Jesus just watches them walk away. And you know the disciples are in the background freaking out because they heard he was rich and they've already been figuring out how the budget of the ministry is gonna increase. Every disciple gets an iPad. Like they've already figured it out in their minds. We're going to Roost Chris for the Christmas holiday celebration because we just got the rich young rulers bankroll. Knowing Peter, Peter probably wanted to go to Jesus and be like, Jesus, thank you. I think you mishandled that situation. Let me go and talk to him and I'll fix it. 
And if he would have handled it how I always believed maybe that we should handle things, he would have gone to the rich young ruler and he would have said, listen, he didn't mean that. He didn't mean that. Don't be offended. He would never ask that much of you. He was just seeing where you were. Listen, just come on back. Work on your greed issues a little bit of the time. Come to the men's breakfast. Read wild at heart. Just come to church two or three weeks a month. Give a, just tithe on your ministry, on your business. Just give it to the church. We'll figure it out. We just don't want you to get away, so just come on back. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus said, listen, if you want to keep obeying rules, keep obeying rules. You want to keep being dissatisfied with following Jesus? Be, continue to be dissatisfied. I'll see you in heaven. But if you want to really live... Let's deal with the area of your life that you are afraid to commit to me. And the rich young ruler says, no. And Jesus says, okay. And it's over. And the conversation's over. That's it. And we read that and we say, that doesn't sound like Jesus. Why didn't Jesus paralyze him so he couldn't walk away? Why didn't Jesus trip him? Why didn't Jesus give him cancer? Why didn't Jesus make him blind? Keep him there. Whatever you do, keep him there. And Jesus says, no, if you don't want to, you don't have to. You know, if you don't want to do it, don't do it. It's so contrary, isn't it? So I want to read you one more story. This is in Acts chapter 5, and I don't know why, but even when I started following Jesus, like, passionately as a 16, 17-year-old, these two stories always stood out to me. And, and, and I read one, and I thought about the other, and I read the other, and I thought about this one. It's in Acts chapter 5. And, and these people are a little bit older than the rich young ruler, but they're church people. And what's happening up to this point in the book of Acts is that the church is exploding. Jesus has resurrected. He's gone back to heaven. And the church is growing by thousands of people of a, day, a day. So everybody in the room who says, I don't like big churches, you would have hated the church in Acts because it's growing thousands of people a day. And the ministry's growing. And people are being transformed. They're falling in love with Jesus. Their heart is being transformed. And they're doing radical things. Radical things. Actually, at the end of chapter four, there's a guy named Barnabas, and the, and the Bible says that he sells a piece of land, and he brings all the money to the church, and he gives it away. And so at the beginning of chapter five, it says, but, it usually doesn't go well when it starts with but, there was a certain man named Ananias, who with his wife Sapphira sold some property. He brought part of the money, everybody say part. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount with his wife's consent, and he kept the rest. So in other words, Ananias is watching Barnabas' hope story, and he's like, man, Jesus got a hold of my heart. We had this piece of property, and we sold it, and we gave all the money to the church. It was the greatest experience we ever had. And so Ananias is watching the hope story, and he's like, I want that. I want to do that. Standing ovation, everybody's like, Barnabas, you're so generous. And Ananias is like, I want everybody to stand and clap for me. So he goes, and he sells a piece of land, and he brings it to the pastor, and he says, this is it. This is all of it, but it wasn't all of it. It was just part of it. And they kept the rest. And then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit, and you kept some of the money for yourself. Verse 4 is so huge. The property was yours. This is Peter talking. The property was yours. Everybody say Mine. It was mine to sell. It was yours to sell or not sell, as you wish. After selling it, the money was also yours. Everybody say mine. It was, it was yours to give away. You get to decide. I never told you to bring all the sale of the property to the church. There was no requirement to be a part of the church. You got to sell property and bring it in. 
It's your land. It's your money. You get to do whatever you want. Why are you lying about it? You didn't have to lie about it. You get to do whatever it is you want to do with it. And then he says, how could, you, how could you do a thing like this? You are lying to us, but you are lying to God. It's another sermon for another time. Verse five, as soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. And everyone who heard about it was terrified, obviously. Then some young men got up. You know, we're always trying to get people to, you know, sign up around here to serve. How would you like to be on the burial team, right? <laughs> like, burial team, they just get their shovels, they come, pick them up, you know. And, oh and some young men got up and wrapped him in a sheet and took him out and buried him. About three hours later, which is about right, usually the wife's a little bit late. So anyway, about three hours later, that joke didn't go over well at 10 o'clock either. I don't know. It was like, I, it's so funny in my head, and then it just doesn't, I don't know. Anyway, about three hours later, the wife came in not knowing what had happened, and Peter asked her, was this the price you and your husband received for the land? And she's like, yeah, that's it. That's all of it. That was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they will carry you out too. In verse 10, instantly she fell to the floor and died. And then the guys on the burial team walk in, and they're like, Whew, that joker was heavy, you know? And they're like, and then Peter's like, uh, burial team, right? When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Maybe this is why churches have graveyards sometimes. I don't know, that's right. Great fear gripped the entire church. Like the most obvious verse in the Bible. Great fear gripped the entire church. And everyone else who heard what had happened. Now, everybody breathe easy because the moral of this story is not that God's gonna strike you dead if you don't put the right amount of money in the offering. This has never happened again anywhere in the Bible. This is not a precedent-setting story where it's like, this is, not, this is not, the point of the story is not that God watches what you give and then punishes you appropriately. What we have is we have two stories about commitment. In the first story, you have someone who has the opportunity by the conviction and the request of God to go all in. And he says, no. And Jesus says, okay. In Acts chapter five, you have two people who have the idea to, to maybe possibly go all in and give it all away, and they decide that they don't want to, but they're not honest about what they want to do. They decide that they want to give the perception that they're all in when really in their heart they're not. And God kills them. So think of every story and every preconceived idea that you've ever had about God and church, and I want you to think about how you would have handled this situation. The young, rich guy who was greedy and told God no was allowed to live. The middle-aged people who sold their land and their inheritance and gave a huge amount of money to the church was killed. That goes against everything that we've ever been taught to believe to be true about God and the church. The couple who gave like a ton of money to the church should have got like a plaque that said in honor of Ananias and Sapphira. And the guy who walked away should have got cancer or something based on what we believe to be true about God. But the power of these two stories when it comes to commitment is that God 
would much rather have you be honest about whether or not you want to be committed to him or not. Everybody listen to me and look at me. I don't know if a pastor's ever told you this before, but I'm gonna be the first today. If you don't wanna follow Jesus, don't. If you don't wanna come to church, don't. Like, like not because I'm mad at you, please hear my heart. It would break my heart to know that you don't. But even after the first service, I had a young man come up to me who had dealt with some real tragedy in his life. And he said, I just gotta be honest with you as you were preaching. I've never really thought about it, but honestly, and he was tearing up and he said to me, he's like, I just don't know if I even wanna follow Jesus. And I said to him, tell him that, tell him. He's not bothered by your anger, your questions. You wanna cuss him out, cuss him out. You wanna flip him off, flip him off. Just don't stop talking to him. Just don't stop talking to him. But God would rather you be honest about your heart and where you are, and he would rather you walk away than to give off the perception and act like you really wanna be fully committed when the truth is you don't. You don't. Religion changes what you do. So you come in and you haven't really fallen in love with Jesus. And please hear me, if you're here today and this is like the beginning of a relationship with Jesus or you're trying to figure it out, I'm not talking about where you are because God is gracious enough and gives us all this time and grace to deal with the issues in our life. But this was, the rich young ruler was not a first timer. He was a lifer. He was a lifer. And the worst thing that you could ever do is spend 20 or 30 years acting like you wanna be in. And you don't wanna be. You don't wanna be. And the rich young ruler walking away is a great reminder to us that everybody who leaves is not lost. Jesus says, go after the lost, but everybody who leaves is not lost. In order to be lost, you have to not know where you are and want to be somewhere else. But if you know where you are, even if it's in a bad place and you don't wanna be anywhere else, you're not lost, you know exactly where you are. But you can never be found if you don't know you're lost. And so Jesus lets the rich young ruler walk away and maybe the fact that he told Jesus no saved his life. Instead of coming back and spending the next 20 years acting like he wanted to be all in when he didn't wanna be. It was the rich young ruler who missed out on the opportunity. He could have been with Jesus when all of these things happened. He could have been one of the disciples. He could have been in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. He could have led the church. He could have been an apostle. He could have been all those things, but it was his decision not to commit, and Jesus let him walk away. He let him walk away. And I never knew this about God. I never knew that God didn't make me do something I didn't wanna do. I never knew that God gave me the freedom and the ability to not be all in if I didn't wanna be all in. Because if I choose religion, yeah, it will change some of the things that I do. But relationship with Jesus changes what I want to do. Religion changes what I do. Relationship with God changes what I wanna do. So if you hang around for 10, 15, 20 years and you do the things you don't wanna do but you change your behavior because religion says change your behavior, you will be bitter and, and hold a grudge against the things that you don't get to do that you've always wanted to do. You ever met those Christians? 
they talk about God like it's a letdown and they really would be having fun in life if they were able to go and do the things they really wanted to do, but God won't let them. So following Jesus is like wearing handcuffs, but falling in love with Jesus and having a relationship with Jesus changes what you want to do. When I fell in love with my children and being a parent, I don't feel like I'm missing out by playing Uno and ordering pizza and sitting in sweatpants on Friday night. It's what I wanna do. But somebody who hasn't fallen in love with children yet or the idea of being a parent thinks it's the most miserable idea ever. You ever met the man who's married who's not in love with his wife? I mean, I'm not gonna leave her. I mean, we got kids. I'm staying, I don't know why he's Southern. I'm, I'm being, redneck, but I, <laughs> I don't know why I'm gonna leave her. He may not be Southern, but you ever met that guy? The guy who knows he needs to be a good parent, but he doesn't really wanna be? He's not gonna leave his wife because he don't wanna be a jerk, but he's not in love with her? Religion changes what you do, but relationship with Jesus changes what you wanna do. He transforms your heart. And so the irony is that commitment to God, extreme all-in commitment, doesn't even feel like that much of a sacrifice because Jesus is changing your heart. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes. And, you, and, you, and you do what you wanna do. You do what you wanna do. And so I think this applies to every area of our life. There, all of us have this areas, these areas of our lives where we're afraid to commit to God. Hear me, if you don't wanna commit, don't commit. There will come a moment and there will come a time and there will come a day where the Holy Spirit will knock on your heart. And in that moment, you will be overwhelmed by the conviction and the kindness and the presence of God and you will want to commit your life to him. But I'm not gonna talk you into it. Holy Spirit is so much more convincing than I could ever be. It breaks my heart that you don't wanna be, but you'll never be found until you know you're lost. And some of you in the room today, you don't know you're lost because you've just been following a list of rules. But if I could, for just the last few moments, I wanna zoom in, because I think this applies to every area of our life, but I would like to zoom in this morning, specifically when it comes to the area of commitment to the One More Matters campaign and to the pledge and the commitment that you are prayerfully deciding to make. Our desire is for 100% participation. Again, if you're a guest with us, just kind of listen into this family conversation. But for those of us who call home, we want all of you to participate. But let me tell you what I don't want. I don't want you walking up here with a bad attitude, begrudging, reluctantly dropping some card in a box like, fine, here, just keep it, just keep it. I, I want you that's probably my phone, you need to mute it there. I don't know who's calling, but I, I want you to cheer, to joyfully, <laughs> cheerfully bring it to God and to, and, to, and to drop it in that box. What I hope is that your life is being transformed by Jesus Christ and you would say, God, whatever it is that you ask of me, I'll do it. Not because of pressure, not because of reluctance, not because of like, wow, he really is hamming this up. He really is pressing in on me. Show the picture of the starving kid in Africa again. Like, no, no. God, every, everything that I have belongs to you because I am in love with you and you have my heart and you have my life. And so if you are asking and calling upon me in this season to sacrifice irrationally and generously, then that's what I'm going to do because I trust that anything you ever ask me to commit to or sacrifice for 
is better than something else that I could come up with on my own. Does that make sense to everybody? So I hope that I freed you up today a little bit. I hope you haven't heard something I didn't say or that I sounded like some angry preacher to you. What I, what I want to let you know is that Jesus wants every part of you and you'll never regret following Jesus 100%. But if you find yourself a few years into being a Christian and it hasn't lived up to the hype, I, I would just challenge you maybe today to ask yourself, is there an area of my life that I have refused to give over to God? And I'll be willing to bet there probably is. And that's why you've been underwhelmed. But to ever really live would be to give it all to him. And I think it would be fair to say, especially when it comes to the financial aspect of our life, for so many of us in the room, that is the area that we're like, oh, no, you know. But to really live is to know that like, God's responsible for all this. Like I, I'm, this is his and it all belongs to him. So here's what's gonna happen. Um, some people are gonna help me right now. I believe that some people are gonna help me. I don't see them at the moment, but here they come right now. All right, great. Um, they're gonna hand you a couple of things. Now, if you were not here last week, then we have a brochure that we would love to give you. Just kind of get their attention. It looks like this and they'll hand you one of those. But everybody else in the room is going to get a commitment card, just in case you didn't get that, they're gonna give you one of those. And then everybody's going to get this piece of paper. For the next three minutes, I'm gonna tell you how this is going to work. Hopefully you, this is not the first you're hearing about it, but I know that there's some who are. And so they're handing out this card for those of us who call Hope City Church home. This commitment card is how we are making our commitments today and our pledges today. Over the next 24 months, we wanna give over and above so that we can accomplish two projects that God has put on our heart. We want to, uh, we are launching a Shepherdsville location. It is our second Hope City Church location in Shepherdsville, Kentucky. That's launching in September of this year. We're really excited about that. Thank you. Yeah, there's like seven of us who are pumped. And uh, so we're doing that. And, and, and then we're also renovating or relocating uh, this South Louisville location. And so you'll get this card and there's a couple of boxes, but the first box is what you normally give in a year. Even if we weren't doing a campaign, what you normally give in a year. The second box is what you will give over and above consistently. Total that up for one year, times it by two because it's a 24-month commitment. That's a subtotal. A one-time gift is like out of savings, tax return, inheritance, you sold something, kind of that Barnabas Acts 4 kind of model that you write down there and then that you write down your total commitment if you're, if you're not sure how this works, I would love to answer some questions for you about that, but you can take that. At the same time, everybody is getting a piece of paper that says, I'm giving to One More Matters because blank matters to me. And uh, that's a name that you're supposed to put in that because we're not building buildings, we're building people. And One More Matters because your husband, your spouse, your friend, your coworker matters. So write their name down and I pray that they will experience the real life that only Jesus can give you can write that down as well. And so in just a moment, matter of fact, why don't everybody just go ahead and stand with me? Our band is going to lead us in a song and I'm not asking you to come up and give at this moment, but I am asking you to take the next few minutes and to prayerfully ask God, I mean, if you haven't done that already, what it is you should give. Um, and, and then after this song, I'll come back and give us a little bit more instruction, but you'll have a chance to come and give. If you wanna do this as a family and you'd like to go get your kids out of class to bring them in here to put this in the box together, I think that would be a phenomenal idea. Obviously, you don't have to do that, but uh, if you wanna do that, you, you can do that 
as well, okay? During this song, our prayer volunteers are gonna come down front. They'll be down here. Anything in your life you'd like to pray about, has, it doesn't have to have to, have to do anything with the campaign, that's fine. Anything going on in your life you'd like to pray about, this team of people would love to pray with you. So we're gonna worship. Maybe you wanna pray a little bit during this song, and then I'll come back and give us just a few more instructions, and we'll uh, close out the day together. All right, let me pray.